But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, I want to read the first 12 verses uh, with you and then jump down and read verse number 21, uh, and then we'll pray. The word of the Lord says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat. And they did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be you idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day, 23,000. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by the serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all of these things happened unto them for examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Then verse 21, it says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. For a few moments this morning, if the Lord would help me, I want to preach for a little while on returning to the table. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for the men and women of God that's in this room. We thank you for the privilege to assemble in your house today. And Lord, I thank you for the attitude of worship. But Lord, today I pray that your word would go forth today in demonstration and power. I pray that this vessel of clay uh, would yield itself completely to you. Let me not speak opinions today. But Father, I pray that you would anoint me so I could speak uh, your word where lives would be forever changed and transformed. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. Last Sunday, as we were together, I shared with you uh, the danger of a defiled house. I believe this morning that we are in a place that is very unique in history. I believe that we are in a place where without a doubt we are seeing the effects of the behavior of men that have professed one thing and lived another. And I don't say that from a judgmental standpoint, but after our time together on Sunday, I began to just spend time alone with the Lord this week, and, and I began to hear the Lord began to really just resonate in my spirit concerning many things, um, but what was probably louder than anything in my spirit this week is the condition of the church world. Now, the church of Jesus Christ, it is today in a very healthy manner. It's, a, it's without spot and it's without blemish. It is ready for his appearing. But 
as my father said, he said, there's a lot of people in the building, but maybe not necessarily in the church. And he wasn't being mean when he said that, but he was speaking from his heart, understanding that there's two separate things. There is the church world, but then there is the true church. And when I began to hear in my spirit about the church world this week, it began to really bring great concern uh, in my spirit. And uh, Paul, in this passage of Scripture, is writing to the church at Corinth. You have to realize that the church of Corinth had been established for about three years. Uh, It was made up of a very large group of diverse people, people from all walks of life, all types of religion. Uh, They had been exposed to all types of idol worship, and the church had been established. And three years into it, the church began to be bombarded by all different types of theology. You need to do this, and you need to add this, and maybe you should be part of this. And Paul begins to sit down and write a letter as a spiritual father to the church at Corinth. That letter is wrote uh, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Uh, So when you begin to read 1 Corinthians, you're really reading a letter that was penned to a specific group of people called the Corinth Church. And he was writing to correct doctrinal errors. And uh, he was writing so that they would understand you, you cannot allow just anything and everything to speak into your life. Uh, but you have to make sure that you have a true understanding of what this really is. And what, what I'm talking about is this relationship with Jesus Christ, this salvation that you have, ex- have encountered, uh, this new birth experience that you're living in, it's much different than anything else that you've ever been exposed to. So he begins to write to them, and he begins to write, and he says this. He said, I would not have you be ignorant uh, But he said, there was a time that your forefathers, he said, some of them failed to understand what it was really about to be with Christ. And today, I don't want us to miss what it's really about when it comes to being with Christ. It isn't about doing religious activities. It is not about doing good things, but it is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we find that he is passionately and unapologetically, I might add, speaking to them concerning the decision before them, and they, like others before them, were going to have to choose where they were going to eat from, what they was going to put into their life. And this week, I began to hear the Lord uh, really burst some things in my spirit. And I'm, don't, I'm not really a guy that puts a, a message series or teaching series together, but I really felt like the Lord began to prompt me to do that. Uh, and with what I shared with you last week and what I'm going to do my best to share with you today and for the next uh, few weeks uh, outside of the Christmas service uh, is really going to be focused in on restoring health back to the American church. Uh, because how many knows if we're going to be effective we have to be healthy. And if we're going to be healthy, it means we're going to have to make sure that we're eating from the right table and putting the right things in our lives. Uh, And we find that this has been repeated throughout history. And when I begin to look through biblical history, just a couple things I'll give you very quickly. Uh, In the days of Joshua, as he was coming to the close of his life, he called uh, all of the elders of Israel, called the people of Israel together. And notice what he said in Joshua 24, verse 15 and 16. He says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwelled now. 
But he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. But Joshua was telling them, he said, listen, you're going to have to make a decision of what you're going to partake of. And we find ourselves in that place today. Another place that you can read in Scripture is when, once again, Israel is in a place uh, where they have lost their way. But the uh, prophet Elijah comes on the scene in 1 Kings chapter number 18. And he says this, he came unto all the people and said, How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. But the people answered not a word. But when you read on through that story, and probably most of you are familiar with that story, we know that at the time of the evening sacrifice that he repaired the altar and the fire of the Lord came down and the people said, we will serve the Lord. But they had to make a choice. So what I'm saying this morning is this, that there is times in life that you can no longer ignore the obvious uh, and you have to make a decision and you have to decide what you're going to do from that moment forward. We in America, especially, we find ourselves at one of those times in history. We today are in a place where we have to take responsibility and we have got to begin to ask ourselves the question, is what we're partaking of, is it producing life uh, or is it producing death? Uh, And today we share uh, a great concern like others have uh, before us. Uh, But this morning for a few moments, I want to talk to you about the abandoned table or talk about returning to the table of the Lord. We're talking about communion this afternoon. Uh, When you come back in with your families, there'll be tables across the front of this room. You're going to be able to sit down and you're going to be able to partake of the emblems that represents the body of Christ uh, as well as the blood of Christ uh, and those significance of it. Uh, We can never take that for granted. But Paul in this chapter, he speaks very clearly on what we the church must do. I am not a list preacher. I'm not one to give you list of do's and don'ts. I I believe that every one of us have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. However, there is some things that is required if you are going to identify as a man of God or a woman of God. Uh, It is not legalism. Listen, anything that is mentioned does not necessarily fall under the category of legalism or tradition. There is some things that's called truth. I heard one gentleman kind of say it this way. I'll paraphrase a little bit. He said, people that hate truth always rebel against truth. You and I today need to understand we have to embrace truth. Because at the end of the day, when we pick up the word of God and we begin to read it, and if we say this is truth and just because it offends us or it makes us uncomfortable does not mean that we can alter truth. But it means this, we have to make the decision. Either we're going to accept it or we're going to reject it. If we reject it, we begin to set at a table that begins to produce death. But when we begin to accept it, we begin to set at a table that produces life. So the question is, uh, do we want to live or do we want to die? So we find that when Paul is writing, he says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry, in verse number 14. But then he says, I speak to you as wise men, and he says, judge what I say to you. He's saying, don't just take what I'm saying, but weigh my words in the balance. You decide for yourself. 
What is idolatry? Idolatry is the religious worship of idols. Yes, that's kind of self-explanatory. However, it is also any excessive or blind adoration or reverence or devotion to something other than God. So I'd ask the question today, do we think as the church world, I'm not talking about the church per se, but the church world, what is the church world really following after? Is it really following after the things of God? Or is it following after other things? We find that in this passage of scripture, Paul mentions five things to the Christ followers at the church at Corinth. In verse number six, he says, do not lust after evil things. To lust simply means to have intense or uncontrolled desire. Said another way is to not have your flesh under control, but you allow this fleshly nature to lead you and guide you into all things. He says you cannot lust after evil things. What is evil? Anything that comes between you and God becomes evil. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's not about, well, this is a really bad sin and this is a, is a, is a little minute sin. No, anything that comes between you and God is evil. You and I today must understand that he has got to be first and foremost of our lives. We also find that secondly, he says in verse number seven, we dealt with this just a moment, but he says, do not be idolaters. Meaning this, don't be one who is immoderate, been an immoderate admirer of other things or allowing yourself to be uncontrolled, but bringing yourself into a place of subjection where you're following after Christ and not the things of the world. Thirdly, he says this in verse number eight, do not be one who commits fornication. I believe that is self-explanatory, but listen, we cannot be involved in sexual relationships outside the walls of marriage. We have cheapened ourselves and our values by doing so. I'm not going to preach on that this morning, but please hear me. Let me speak to the ladies first, then I'll speak to the men. Ladies, please hear me. You're more valuable than that. If a man is, tired, is afraid of commitment, you don't need the man. Now let me speak to the man. Man, if you want to be that involved in that lifestyle with a individual, then be man enough to put a ring on the finger and do it the right way. Now I'll move on. Didn't charge anybody for that. Verse number nine, do not tempt Christ. What does that mean? We should never behave unwisely and we should never test his grace and his mercy. Meaning this, you look at the story, the children of Israel, as they began to lift up a brazen serpent, uh, and, uh, or, or I take that back rather, they began to idle after the golden calf, uh, and then we see other things uh, that they began to do. They was testing the grace of God and the mercies of God, and therefore we see that the brazen serpent had to be lifted up in order for them to receive healing uh, so that the vipers would begin to quit killing them. What are you saying? Is saying this, the Lord is saying, do not tempt me. Then fifthly is this, in verse number 10, it says, do not murmur. What is murmuring? Please do not look at your neighbor, especially if you're sitting by your spouse. One who complains, one who speaks in low, undistinguishable manners, but also one who complains privately. 
See, it isn't about so much how well you present yourself here, but it's also about how you conduct yourself privately with those closest to you. See, when you begin to murmur and complain as a man of God and a woman of God, you position yourself to be in a place where God begins to be distanced from you. And let me remind you, while we know that there's some things in life that's not how we like for them to be, those of us in America, we don't have a whole lot to complain about because we've been a blessed people. Please hear me. Notice it is in Christ and Christ alone that we have our being. These five things are found with other things on the table of darkness. That's why verse 21 is so important. Paul writes, he says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Meaning this, there has to be a distinction. There has to be a decision. We find, and I know I'm a little bit more in teaching mode this morning, but stay with me, please. In Romans chapter 5, verse 17 through 21, it says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in the life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but when sin abound, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto life, even so might grace reign through righteousness righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul continues to write in Romans 6:23. He said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 8 and 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. You and I today are made free uh, by the precious blood of Jesus uh, and the ultimate sacrifice of his body. Ephesians 2, 13 through and the following says, But now in Christ Jesus ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, uh, for he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us, uh, having abolished in his flesh the infinity, uh, even the law of commandments contained in ordinance, uh, for to make in himself of two, one new man, so making peace, uh, and that ye might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, uh, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself been the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Now what does all of that mean? Notice, it is his blood 
that has cleansed us and in his body that has redeemed us. It is he that come to fulfill the following. Now, in Isaiah chapter number 61, you see that there's a prophetic word that is given. Let me give it to you. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes and the oil of joyful mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, uh, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Now, why is that important? You will find that when you go into New Testament scripture in Luke chapter number four, 18 and 19, uh, Jesus walks into the synagogue on the, on the Sabbath day. Uh, they handed him the book of Isaiah. It opens up uh, and this is what he reads. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He then closes the book, sets down in the chair and everybody looks at him and they are astounded by what just transpired. Uh, may I remind you uh, that when he chose to become the lamb uh, and, and he began to empty his blood at Calvary for you and I uh, life was restored to the human race uh, and that which had been lost in the garden was also restored. Uh, there was a table that was set at that moment uh, that was called the Lord's table uh, and now we have a opportunity uh, not to visit it uh, occasionally uh, but we can eat there continually. Uh, you say, why is this so important this morning, Pastor? Uh, let me not just focus on what was in the garden uh, but let me focus on what wasn't in the garden. Uh, in the garden, uh, there was no sickness. Uh, there was no disease. Uh, there was no death. Uh, there was no fear. Uh, there was no anxiety. Uh, there was no depression. Uh, there was no lack, uh, just to name a few. Uh, but what was in the garden uh, was there was dominion. Uh, there was authority. Uh, and there was fellowship. Uh, and the enemy comes along and ripped that from us. Uh, but when Jesus come along uh, and he come on the scene in the form of a baby uh, and then he walked this earth for 33 and a half years uh, and when he simply found himself in the garden of Gethsemane uh, and he said the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak uh, and he made the decision to come under subjection to the will of his father uh, in that moment uh, he was simply saying I know that the world doesn't understand it uh, I know that it doesn't something that everybody really wants and really embraces uh, but I'm willing to set uh, the table of the Lord uh, so that men once again uh, can come back into a place of life uh, and a place of fellowship. Uh, this morning, can I tell you, uh, while the world is going crazy around us, uh, there, is still a, there is still a table uh, that is spread. Uh, and at this table uh, is not death. Uh, at this table is not anxiety. At this table is not confusion. Uh, but at this table uh, is still uh, the bread of life. Uh, at this table uh, is still the cup uh, that is able to remove uh, all sin uh, from the life of humanity. Uh, this morning, can I tell you, uh, I feel this in my spirit so strongly uh, that we've got to come back to the table of the Lord uh, in this hour. 
because that is the only place that life comes from. Uh, this morning, uh, you can do everything uh, that the world presents to you, uh, and you're still going to have lack. Uh, you're still going to have disease. Uh, you're still going to be overwhelmed by loneliness. Uh, but when you come to the table of the Lord, uh, all voids will be filled. Uh, you will find peace like you've never known. Uh, you will experience love like you've never known. Uh, you will find joy unspeakable. Uh, you will find strength that cannot be countered up from anything that man offers. Uh, you will find authority again uh, where you can combat the enemy. Uh, you will begin to walk in dominion. Uh, you will begin to fulfill your purpose. Uh, but more importantly, uh, you will find yourself in fellowship uh, with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, and when he is lifted up in your life, uh, can I tell you it doesn't matter when the enemy comes. Uh, it doesn't matter how much noise he makes. Uh, you can stand with authority and power uh, and say because I've been sitting at the Lord's table, uh, I know in whom I believe. Uh, I know who I am. Uh, I'm a king's kid. Uh, it doesn't matter what you try to identify me as, uh, but I will stand uh, and I will be who he says that I am. Uh, I am a redeemed uh, child uh, of the Most High God. Uh, somebody ought to give him a shout this morning uh, because of who you are. The enemy is trying to put you in places that you was never created to be. Can I remind you of another story? David begins to rule and reign. Saul is destroyed. Jonathan is destroyed. All of the lineage of Saul is destroyed. Except... For one, Mephibosheth was just a boy. He had sat at the king's table. He had grown up at the king's table. He knew what the aroma was at the king's table. He knew what the instruments at the table looked like. But in a time of confusion, don't miss this. In a time of confusion and uncertainty, in a time where a lot of noise was going on, someone scooped up Mephibosheth. And they thought they could do it in themselves and protect him. But they stumbled and he became lame on his feet. And now one that used to sit at the table of the king is living and dwelling in a land called Lodabar, I mean a place of death, a place of nothing, a barren place. Everything that he's ever known is gone. And now one that used to sit at the king's table is sitting at the table of death. And while he's sitting there, all of a sudden in the kingdom, on a particular day, King David says, is there not one of the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? And they called in Ziba, who was a servant to Saul, and said, Ziba, is there anybody left? He said, well, there is one by the name of Mephibosheth, and he's living in the land of Lodabar. He's lame on his feet. 
He says, go fetch him. And when you read the story in the book of first, or 2 Samuel chapter 9, we find that they go and they fetch Mephibosheth and they bring him before King David. And as he is brought to him, he falls down and he reverences him. And he simply asks the question, are you Mephibosheth? And he says, behold thy servant. This is what David said to him. Verse number seven, fear not, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul, thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. We find in this story that Mephibosheth was faced with an unexpected turn of events. Now he has to make a decision. Where will I eat from? His mind, oh, how it must have been running when he was been fetched by the king because in the natural it was probably something like this. Oh, no. They have found me. Now the fate that I have so feared is upon me. That which happened to my brothers is now getting ready to happen to me. They are going to slaughter me. The king has found me. But he hears something completely opposite upon his arrival and the king is presenting to him he says now if you choose you can stay in Lodabar or he said I'm going to restore everything that belonged to your grandfather because of your father's sake and the covenant that I have with him and you're welcome to sit at my table and if you read on it says that he will sit as one of the king's sons at my table continually See, the king was not just going to invite him to the table, but he was going to treat him as a son of the kingdom. Life was at that table. But the question is, what will we choose today? What table will you and I sit at today? Notice he was rewarded because of who his father was. Today, every one of us in this room, our righteousness is as filthy rags. But because of Jesus Christ, we have an open invitation to sit at the king's table. And what's so amazing is this, that when Mephibosheth was taken up to the king's table, guess what? You never saw the part of him that was lame. His scars was never made visible at the king's table. He had grown accustomed to living in the barren place, but he was given the opportunity to once again sit in a place of abundance 
a place that maybe he had childhood memories of that he thought he would never see again. I believe I'm talking to some people today that you feel like life's just put you in a barren place. And maybe you have some inklings and some remembrances of things that was and how it used to be. And the enemy says you can never taste that again because you got lame feet this morning. But there's a king that's still saying, come unto me. All ye that are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He's saying there's still a table that's been made ready for you. Hear me this morning. We have been given an opportunity to sit at the table of life. But here's the thing. He does not demand you to sit there. But he simply says, I stand at the door and I knock, just waiting for you to let me in. Or I could reference it in this manner. It is one that made ready a marriage supper. And this one said, I'm too busy. And this one says, I've got this to attend to. And I've got this to attend to. And he's like, the supper's ready, but there's no guest. The master simply said, go get those that's been bruised and neglected. Bring them because we're going to celebrate at this table. And upon their arrival, that time in history, if you was invited, this is one of the most beautiful things, if you was invited to such a celebration upon your arrival, there was a changing room that was available that had wedding garments hanging in it. You didn't have to buy them. You didn't have to work for them, but they was provided. And you just simply had to walk in and willingly take off what you had on and put on that which the king had prepared for you. And then you was welcome to enter in and sit at his table. You'll read of a story where a man, he came to that place, but yet he thought he could bypass the changing room. And the Lord simply said, why is it that you're sitting at this table? but you've not put on the garment. He said, be cast away. That was not what the master wanted to do. But because of disobedience and rebellion, he was no longer allowed to sit there. Here's all that God's asking out of you and I and anyone else. He's not asking for you to conform to a list of do's and don'ts. He's just asking you to walk with an obedient heart to that which he has given you. And we find that when we do that, we are granted the permission to sit at a table that produces life and not death. There has to be a return to the table. Generations before us, they sat at the table and there were signs and wonders and miracle working power that was present in their life. Why is it that we find ourselves in the American church today and not taken away from any generation before us? But let's look at it from a natural standpoint for a moment. We've had more than we've ever had. We got finer buildings. We got finer sound equipment. 
we've got amazing talent. And the list goes on and on and on. But we're still burying a generation. Is it possible that we're sitting at the wrong table? Because can I tell you, when I see the American church, I see that there's a more of a desire for the things of the world than for the things of God. We're lusting. We are idolizing men instead of surrendering to our Heavenly Father. We are now saying that the word of the Lord concerning fornication and adultery and many other things is no longer relevant to our society. We're tempting Christ by our behavior that is ungodly. And we hear this low, undistinguishable sound at times of murmuring and complaining. Nothing's ever good enough. Is it possible because of that table that we're sitting at that unknowingly maybe, maybe even innocently, we would have to acknowledge that we've been sitting at the table of devils instead of the table of the Lord. This morning, I don't say that to bring us down, but I say that to be very honest and transparent with you because can I tell you, when you start partaking of the bread and the wine at the king's table, there's a few things that results from it as they prepare to come to the music this morning. When you begin to sit at the Lord's table, this is what I can promise you. You will begin to experience a peace that passes all understanding. Secondly, this morning, I will tell you that you will begin to experience joy. Unspeakable. Thirdly, I don't know how to really explain this other than even in the times of great difficulty, there begins to be hope that begins to arise in you. Even when you're going through difficult things, there's this hope of the blessed assurance that is found. It is when you sit at the Lord's table, I can attest to this, it is when I have on purpose, in a consecrated manner, set at the Lord's table, he always has begins to spark vision in me. Begins to cause me to dream and begins to cause me to see things clearly that seem to be just very hazy before. So vision begins to come. But health begins to be renewed. Not just physical health, but spiritual health. I took my father for his annual checkups at a couple of doctors in the last few weeks. Get this outstanding report. They say, I, you look like you're a man in your 70s. You're not 95. Surely you're not 95. He just kind of laughs it off a little bit. But I began to really think on that in the last few weeks. And I said, Lord, I, I, I can only contribute his health. 
to one thing, and that is this. He's always continually, every day, set at your table. He's ate of your bread every day for the last 70 years of his life. You say, how, how do you know that he ate at the Lord's table every day? Is because every day he has been in this word. And this word is bread. It is the body of Christ. And I began to think, God, there really is health that's renewed when you set at his table. So if you're not feeling too healthy, spiritually, physically, emotionally, I'm not telling you to read 20 chapters, five chapters. I'm just telling you, when you sit at his table, there's health in his word. Dominion, as I mentioned earlier, is brought back into a place where you begin to understand that you are able to take dominion over the evil that is present in your generation. But one of the most beautiful things that comes when a man or a woman begins to sit at the table of the Lord, that man or that woman begins to produce fruit. I have one son and one daughter, naturally. But I've had the privilege over the last 20 plus years to look around and see that I have had and still have many spiritual sons and many spiritual daughters. When I started, they was like this. Some was like this. But now they have this. I don't know how that happens because I haven't aged a bit. But I look around and I can stand here today and say, God, thank you. Thank you for the fruit of my life. But I would think lastly this morning that I would say to you is this. When you begin to sit at the table of the Lord, it brings you to a place of true identity. Where you're not intimidated to just be who God's called you to be. Can I say to not just somebody in here, but can I say to everybody in here, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not a mistake. But God knew exactly what he was doing when he made you. And he loves you. And he loves you so much that for a little better than 2,000 years he has a table that has never had stale bread on it and it's never had an empty wine glass on it but this morning the table's still spread and the wine is still flowing and he's saying you can still sit at my table and if you do there's life there's freedom there's liberty When we come back to the table, men and women of God, we will begin to change a world, but not until then. Paul was not writing because he was angry. 
He was not writing to give them a list of you don't do this and you don't do that. He was writing as a father telling them. You have a heavenly father that loves you. But you have a spiritual father that loves you. And I want you to succeed. This morning, as your pastor, I just want you to be successful. I want your family to be fruitful. I want you to experience the blessings and the favor of the Lord. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm just asking you to follow after the heart of God with everything that's in you. But consciously, every day, say, I refuse to sit at that table, but I'm going to sit at the table that I've been invited to because that's a place of life. Now, it may have to cause us to change some garments in our life, but he never takes anything from you to harm you. He asks you to remove things so he can deposit greater things in your life. Pastor Jade mentioned earlier, there's greater. We will experience the greater when we choose to sit at his table. Not occasionally, but continually. This morning, I'm just simply issuing you a call to come back to the table of the Lord. Let us stand all over the house this morning. This Sunday morning, there's men and women in this room probably watching us on a way of live stream today that says, man, I wish there was some things different in my life. It's been challenging, or it's been hard, or it's been this, or it's been that. Our hope is in Christ and Christ alone, but I can say this with confidence. Everything that you have need of flows from the table of the Lord. Maybe you just need to talk to him this morning. Maybe you just need to pour your heart out to him this morning. Maybe you just need to give voice to some things this morning in your life. He will not be waiting for you at this altar with his finger out saying, I told you you shouldn't have done that or you shouldn't have been there or this or that. No, when he sees us begin to move towards him, he's like the father in the story, the prodigal son, when he saw him yet a great way off, he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And he called to the servant and said, bring forth the best robe bring shoes for his feet and put a ring on his hand. Kill the fatted calf. That which was lost is now home. He wants you to sit at his table this morning. He loves you this morning. We all have stories of where we've went wayward or we lost our way. But we're not condemning this morning. We're loving this morning. But won't you come sit at his table I know it's been a very simple message this morning please hear me he loves you and you may be overwhelmed this morning you may be hurting this morning when you walked into this room 
You don't have to leave the way you came in Jesus' name. But he says, it's prepared for you. Maybe you need a touch in your body, a touch in your spirit. Maybe you just need, a, need an encouragement today. Be encouraged that the table's still ready and waiting for you. As they just minister in song this morning, I'm just going to open this up for an old-fashioned altar. If this message touched your heart any way, shape, or form, I ask you to come. Just spend a little bit of time talking with the Lord. You can stand, kneel, pray at your seat. Let's just take a few moments and pray together this morning. Let's return to the table of the Lord. And let's experience the goodness of God. God bless you this morning. Hey everyone, it's Pastor Jade here. I want to thank you for watching today. I pray that this message spoke directly to you and challenged and transformed your life by the power of the Holy Ghost. And I want to invite you to connect with us on social media and stay up to date with what's happening here at PTC. And I pray that you have a great week and a great year in the Lord. We love you.